the antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck.
I'm Dave Hawkins, and this is The Antidote. How was that for a spectacular introduction to the music of death therapy? The band name may be new, but it comes with a lot of experience, as the man behind that sound is Jason Wisdom, former frontman for Becoming the Archetype. He's brought in this big change of style with the new band and his debut album, The Storm Before the Calm. Now, I've loved Jason's music when he was with Becoming the Archetype, but really the sound of death therapy has taken it a step further. I really go for two-piece bands. I like electronic music, and the bass is my favorite instrument. Death therapy has all of that, plus great songwriting, so really how could I resist enjoying this? Coming up is one of my favorites from Becoming the Archetype, but first is the beginning of the Antidotes chat with Jason Wisdom. Death Therapy is the new project of Jason Wisdom, and he's come for a talk. Great getting a chance to meet with you again, Jason. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I'm really excited about it. Every time an artist comes to The Antidote, I want to get into their history. And your background is significant because you were the raw vocalist for Becoming the Archetype. I was a bit surprised when you left the band in 2011. How did that come about? Yeah, so um, at the end of 2010... Beginning of 2011, we found out that my wife was pregnant. We were going to have our first child. And um, I just knew that it really wasn't going to work to be a full-time touring musician at that point. Kind of talked to the guys, and it looked like they really wanted to keep touring and being on the road. So that was a sort of a natural decision have to step down. Um, I helped out with uh, writing some lyrics for the next record that they did after I left and, um, you know, wished them my best and just sort of took a few years off there to take care of my family and figure all that stuff out. At that point, Becoming the Archetype had really built a large fan base. It was making quite an impact in the metal scene. Even though you were going to be a dad, you were, have family commitments, were there any regrets about leaving? Um, you know, not really. Uh, I mean, it was it was tough to leave, but not any regrets, really. I mean, even looking back, uh, it's it's something that I, I could definitely say I missed doing, especially when I started writing music again for the new project. It was kind of like, okay, you know, I really have missed this. Um, but um, not really a regret kind of thing. Um, the most candid version I can give you is that Becoming the Archetype was always sort of a, a big fish in a small pond, I think. Um, in the early to mid-2000s, the Christian metal and metal core scene was really just sort of coming into its own. You know, bands like Azalea Dying, August Burns Red, uh, Under Oath, whoever you want to name. I mean, they were sort of the ones jumping off the map and getting really, really big. Um, but even then, there was, you know, some more subculture, just real death metal, technical kind of metal. And we were 
we were always sort of a big fish in that small pond. Um, you know, we definitely had our share of tours where we would play for nobody certain nights. But we also were very blessed to have really dedicated fans who did come to shows. And death therapy has, has benefited some from that because there are people out there, um, even if it's just a few hundred spread across the entire world, who are really, really excited about a new project that I'm doing. And I'm really humbled by that to actually have people that I know I can recognize their names because, um, you know, we kind of almost have a closer relationship. Back to those days, I mean, technical death metal comes across great on recordings, but sometimes it's pretty difficult to translate that into a live show. So how did Becoming the Archetype handle that? Mm, yeah, we were um, pretty old school purist about if we were going to write and record something that we could also perform it and um, make it sound that way when we played it live. So it was just a lot of practice, a lot of work. You know, at one point, Becoming Archetype had three guitar players in the band for the first record and um, some tours after that when we toured with Demon Hunter and Zayo. For a lot of people, that's what they remember Becoming Archetype as, is that band that had three guitar players. You know, we tried to make it sound as much like the record as possible. Tormented by the winter rain 
after you left BTA, you became part of a melodic death metal outfit called Solomar. Can you tell me about the album that the band put out, Depravity's Demise? Yeah, so um, Alex Kinnis, who was on the second BTA record, uh, he was the guitar player that took John's place after John, our original lead guitar player, left. So Alex contacted me, well, I guess late 2012, early 2013, maybe it was, yeah, and said, hey, I've got some songs putting together. I think it'd be cool. If you, would you like to do vocals for it? And I said, shoot me the tracks. Uh, let me hear them. I really liked it. I thought it was cool. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for melodic metal of any kind. If it's metal and it's heavy, but it's got a good melody, um, you know, good solos, good leads and stuff like that, I'm, I'm hooked. So yeah, I, I undertook to write some lyrics and it kind of came naturally. Um, had a concept that kind of came to mind. And yeah, so I, I recorded vocals for that. Um, oddly enough, I recorded those vocals with John, with the guitar player that Alex replaced in BTA once upon a time. So John recorded those vocals with me and um, that was pretty much all I had involved in that project. Solomores was mainly Alex's project. I get asked questions about that all the time. Are you going to do another Solomores record? And at the end of the day, I don't have much say in that. I, I recorded my vocals, passed them back to Alex, and he took it from there. Sort of a uh, studio collaboration, I guess you could say. But it worked. Yeah, I, I'm very proud of that record. And I could see why he would choose you, because a lot of the raw or unclean vocalists in a lot of bands often don't have vocals that stand out. But you're quite distinctive with your voice. Well, thank you. If you'd point that out, I appreciate that. Some people have definitely told me that over the years. They appreciate it. Um, you know, I make it a point to try to be a little more clear with my um, enunciation so that things I say are, are somewhat intelligible. <laughs> it's never been a uh, never been a sort of gurgling, growly kind of thing. I mean, there's some of that in some of our songs, but I'm a big fan of progressive music just as a whole. I, if it's different and it uh, you know it bounces all over the place with styles and techniques, I'm all for it. So with the Solomores record, I really had a chance to sort of branch out with vocal things I could experiment with because it was a again a studio project with with BTA. I said earlier we were sort of purists about well if, we, if we're not going to do this live then we better not do it in the studio. With Solomores it was kind of like well I'm never going to do this live so let's see what I can come up with in the studio. And that was really fun because I got to do some clean vocals that were really different from anything I'd ever done, sort of some very different things vocally. And that, I think, helped to shape some of what I felt comfortable doing with Death Therapy now, which is a is a sort of a hybrid vocally of what I did with BTA and what I did some on Solomores. I'm doing more singing um, than I ever did on BTA because I, I never sang on any BTA songs. And so, yes, uh, Death Therapy is, is a much more melodic vocal, but still there's a lot of variation. That's something I at least aspire to accomplish. From the collaboration with Solomars comes the song Following the Light with Jason really taking on a pretty different growly vocal style.
it's really been interesting that all of the bands that you've been involved with have all been in the metal realm. But each of the styles has been really quite different. The biggest change really has to be death therapy. I mean, you on bass and vocals, a drummer and a synth background, but no guitar, like in a metal band. What were you thinking? Yeah, well, I mean, I was thinking, uh, I guess what every, every bass player has always dreamed of, right? Well, what if I could just start a metal band and just not have to have a guitar player to argue with or tell <laughs> me what to do? Um, but on a serious note, I mean, it comes somewhat out of creativity, but more so out of necessity and a goal for me to create something that's sustainable for me moving forward musically. You know, Becoming the Archetype, maybe at some point there'll be another Becoming the Archetype record that I'm a part of. Uh, maybe we'll do a reunion, something here or there. Um, people ask about that all the time. Maybe we will. But, um, but, you know, getting four or five guys together, all of whom have wives and multiple children and different jobs and, you know, now live in different states. It's very difficult, particularly when there's not a whole lot of money involved. I mean, you know, becoming the archetypes, not exactly on the level of, hey, Under Oath is getting back together for a new tour, you know, and they're going to sell out these 4,000 seat venues every night, you know, becoming the archetype reunion be a little bit more like, hey, we're trying to find some places to play. Does anybody want to book us? Um, <laughs> you know, and we need a floor to crash on tonight kind of thing. Um, so with death therapy, I really wanted to create something sustainable. Well, the, the only way I could think to do that is to, to make it primarily just me. Initially, Death Therapy was put out there as a solo project. And, you know, I perform with a drummer, but it's it's something that I am doing, you know, myself, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, when it comes to writing the music, when we did the album in the studio, it was 99% of it was just myself and the producer sitting in the room together doing this record. Um, nobody else around. So, um, so, yeah, what was I thinking? I mean, I was thinking... How can I do something sustainable, but also creative and fun and challenge myself? I mean, if I'm going to write songs where there's not a guitar part to add a harmony or do a lead or really um, thicken a part up or do a polyrhythm or something, I've got to write bass lines that are interesting enough to carry the weight and move the song forward. Um, the synth lines that are in the songs are, are amazing. My friend Brian... Uh, helped program those and he's he's a wizard on the synth and stuff people have asked me well what would happen if you're playing live and the and the backing tracks you know messed up would you have a milli vanilli moment and the answer <laughs> to that is no if the backing tracks mess up we'll just turn them off and keep going because it's really a small part of what we're doing the groove the vocals the bass line is is the main core of what we're doing
Wake Me When I'm Dead from Death Therapy. Death Therapy's sound is so different. Industrial groove metal, it's not an unheard of style, but you got to admit that it is a bit unusual. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know who else I would put in the industrial groove metal category um, per se. I mean, there are people out there that I draw influences from. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the kind of stuff I listened to when I was in high school, like old Rob Zombie, um, White Zombie, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson. But I would say those things are much more pure industrial. Um, Death Therapy is not really a band that can even be marketed purely to the industrial, like, diehards, because it's not going to be industrial enough for them. Um, it's sort of a, I would say groove metal is probably the preeminent thing that Death Therapy is doing, and the industrial sort of fills it out a little bit. That's how I view it, is it's mainly about the groove. Um, and then there's, you know, my twist on industrial stuff going on. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to capture or, or promote in any way sort of a, an industrial music culture. And I think that's usually what a lot of those things are tied up in. I mean, it's more just, I really like electronic music. Um, you know, even in BTA, we had keyboards and electronic type stuff going on. I've always liked that. Um, the reason I got into metal music was not because I was angry or rebellious as a kid. I got into it because I thought it was the sort of like the classical music with electricity behind it, you know? <laughs> um, I really liked the time signatures and the, the grandiose parts and the over-the-top lead lines and the virtuosos on the instruments. And, and so I feel like if you, if you strip out any of that backing stuff, to me, it can be good, but it's, it's a little just more um, you know rock or alternative. And what I want is something a little more full. The fallout of that is it, it comes across as industrial. That's the way I would look at it. All I can ever imagine when I'm listening to your music is that you've got half the crowd there moshing and half dancing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's <laughs> see that what I've come to realize, and, and we haven't gotten very far into this yet because the record just came out and people are just starting to get to know it. So 2017 will be very interesting to see how people react to our music. Are they going to want to mosh? Are they going to want to dance? Are they going to sing along? Are they, what are they going to want to do? And some of the more smaller shows we played now um i think it's kind of cool that we can look at people and go hey you know it's okay to just kind of stand here and bob your head you know i mean we just want you to enjoy the music you know if i'm the lead singer for a hardcore band or a thrash metal band and i don't see people moving around in the crowd then i might get really mad <laughs> you know we're really really frustrated like they're not into this but when you're in a you know sort of a groove metal band i mean as long as people are smiling and bobbing their heads, I'm okay with that. Um, so it's kind of a fun place to be. And yeah, I would love to see people mosh and stuff, but that may not be our thing. My fear is that there are some people who are afraid to like this because they've got like an aversion to industrial or goth culture. And um, I'm hoping I can convince people kind of from all walks to kind of come in and say, okay, well, this may not be what I normally listen to, but... It's good, and it's heavy, and it's groovy, and I like it. This is Jason Wisdom, and you're listening to Death Therapy on The Antidote.
cool guest on the song Self Mind Dead with Andrew Schwab of Project 86 adding his vocals to the track. Obviously, music is a big part of death therapy, but lyrics are another. Let's hear more about that from Jason Wisdom. The song lyrics of death therapy are pretty blunt and to the point. You don't want to leave anybody behind with your songs? Yeah, I mean, this record was different from anything I've ever written. With BTA, it was always about concept albums, epic themes, um, you know, Armageddon and battles and, and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, With this, it was more like personal reflection and song lyrics that would come to me just sort of as I struggle and wrestle through things in my own life. You know, the name Death Therapy for the band comes from a place of, you know, learning what it means to die to myself um, more and more and the therapeutic value of sort of laying myself out on the table and letting myself be dissected, you know, not worrying about, okay, I got to hide this and I have to cover this up. And if people know that I think life is hard sometimes or if people find out that, that I'm struggling with depression or, you know, whatever the case may be that would be a sign that, that my faith is is not good, you know, maybe not where you're at, but at least down here in the southeastern United States in the Bible Belt, as it were, that's one of the really unfortunate cultural trappings of Christianity that has sort of lingered, is this idea of the people who, who have it together are the ones who are close to God. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, and the people who don't have it together, they need to pray more. Anyway, long story short, with this record, it was just, I really felt like, you know, if the faith we profess is not big enough, not real enough, strong enough to stand firm and not be moved in the midst of the storm, the album's called The Storm Before the Calm, then it isn't anything. Um, And I think that's a biblical concept. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, if Jesus... Christ hasn't been raised, then, you know, our faith is in vain. I think that's more blunt than we would often take it. I think he's saying, look, if if it didn't really happen, if this thing isn't real, then it's nonsense. And um, some Christians, I think, are just scared of that. So I'm kind of coming at it from the opposite direction of saying, well, look, if it is real, and I think there's good reasons to think it is, then God's big enough. I can stand here and be like, you know, sometimes life sucks. And literally, I can stop there. I don't have to sugarcoat it and go, well, but, you know, okay, let let me, you know, scoop some dirt back over that because you don't want to see how how ugly, you know. No, I can say that. Um, And it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive with having hope. Yeah, sometimes stuff sucks, but I still have hope because my hope is big enough to handle when things suck. (laughs) That's like a long, long, long version of of saying where, where I was coming from on this record isn't that just being honest because so many artists do want to sugarcoat things? I'm living the on beauty. the mountaintop. I've never seen a valley in my life. <laughs> right. Well, the, that's one of the reasons I'm, you know, because now I'm, I'm older. You know, BTA signed a record contract when I was 20 years old. You know, I can remember those days. Well, I'm older now and I don't see things the way I used to. But people around me still view what I'm doing as, well, why are you doing that screamy, loud music? I thought you were a Christian or you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why, why are you doing this? I come at it from the perspective now, you know, back when I was 20, I would have been like, come on, you guys are just old. You know what I'm talking about? But now I come at it from more from the perspective of, you know, it's because I have something to say 
that doesn't really lend itself to acoustic guitar, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think when, when Dave, David, not Dave, you're Dave, but David in the Bible pinned some of those Psalms where he was more or less screaming at the heavens and shaking his fists and angry with God for not doing what he thought he would do and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't think he was uh, strumming his harp lightly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think, th- I don't think he was singing with very soft tones in his voice. I, uh, I take it that there are appropriate times to express emotions and the therapeutic nature of, of being honest, I think is big. That part of my talk with Jason was hitting really close to home for me. My closest friend was buried today and I've really been struggling with that loss. I admit that I've been angry and questioning God's will, even though I know that my friend's soul is now with him. But you know, for me, in the here and the now, this is a tough time. Anyway, Prodigal with an unusual sample on the intro. I don't care. I tell you, I don't care. I'm a human being. I exist.
Now, there's another source to the name Death Therapy, and that is the movie What About Bob, which is an old Bill Murray movie with Richard Dreyfuss. And so I'll just tell people in case they don't know that. It's on Netflix now, I believe, so they should watch it. It's wonderful. And they'll find out towards the end of the movie where I got the name from. And it's an absolutely hilarious movie. Yes. And an interesting (laughs) thing about you is that you keep bringing up all these pop culture references in the music Death Therapy. But the really funny part is that none of these are current. I mean, as you spoke about with the band name, it comes from the Bill Murray movie. You know, what about Bob? The album's closing track has this old video game style 8-bit theme. Then the intros to the songs Possessed and Prodigal both bring in dialogue samples from the Twilight Zone. Uh Ah, glad you picked up on that. This really has me wondering if you're trying to bridge those decades or if you actually want to live in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean... um... So yeah, The Twilight Zone, um, Burgess Meredith, really, really great classic actor. I mean, he's, he's gone now, um, but he made a name for himself on The Twilight Zone. And that particular episode, if people have never seen it, it's, a, it's an episode called, I believe it's called The Obsolete Man. It is a very, very powerful episode that I wanted to sort of capitalize on, not just because they were cool quotes, but because in its time in the 50s and 60s it was sort of trying to foreshadow a time in the future when artists and wordsmiths would be irrelevant in a sense i uh, wanted to take that piece and almost sort of say hey you know <laughs> look here we are now and um we're verging on that i mean musically now it's so easy for people i think to just completely take the human aspect out of it to you know, to stream the music for free and, you know, just to expect that it's just there and to not realize there are human beings behind it that need support and need to be appreciated or the arts will suffer. So there's that. There's um, the, like you said, the last two tracks are sort of an homage to classic arcade and video games. Um, I love classic video games. I mean, I even love, well, I don't want to say I love current video games, but I'm excited about um, the new Zelda game. And um, I thought, well, yeah, I'll make a track or two that just throw people for a loop again. Maybe that can become kind of a thing um, that I do. So there's another quote that you didn't mention. I wonder if you missed it. Maybe I did. Yeah, if you listen to track number eight, Everything Burns, at the beginning of that track, there is a repeated quote from the original Blade Runner movie. Oh, wow. So again, reaching back to the 80s, not only do I think that comes from one of the most pivotal scenes in that movie, um, a very, very powerful scene where Harrison Ford is up on the rooftop and it's raining and, you know, he's lost it. He's at the end of his rope, hanging off the side of a building. Anyway, not only did I think the concepts were cool, but I wanted to sort of do what felt natural to me. And it turns out that what feels natural to me is to reach back a little bit to the past, I mean, um, and pull forth my influences. You know, I mean, obviously every musician does that. Uh, everybody has influences. So maybe it's just a, a level at which I've become comfortable with paying more of a overt tribute. But even with Becoming the Archetype, we did that. I mean, the first record we did was called Terminate Damnation, the name taken from a Mortification song, um, sort of pointing back to, hey, hey, here's where we got our influence from. Um, Celestial Completion was a Becoming the Archetype record, that pointing back to an old Extol song. 
you know, Invisible Creature was the name of a song paying homage to the folks at Invisible Creature who did most of our artwork um, and did the artwork for Death Therapy as well. So I don't know. I think it's kind of fun to put some Easter eggs in the music. Everything burns off Death Therapy's debut album, The Storm Before the Calm. Now it's time for you to be honest. Okay, were you dancing or moshing during the show? (laughs) My headphone cord is way too short for moshing or dancing, so I had to settle just for bobbing my head here in the studio. Well, you've heard quite a bit of the album, but there's a lot more to be heard from the release. 
and it's all great. So go ahead and grab a copy of The Storm Before They Come. Next time on The Antidote, we meet with Robbie John, who brings music from a different part of the Christian music scene as he shares his cool hip-hop reggae fusion with a faith aspect. Be sure to tune in next week. I mean, this stuff is great. This week has been the same situation as last week. Jason Wisdom and I had such a long talk that I had to chop out some parts of it to make it fit the show. But you can get the rest of our chat in the interview section of theantidoteradio.com. And, of course, you can find every episode of The Antidote on iTunes and on our website. Okay, so here's what's left of our talk on tonight's show. And we'll close with another great death therapy song, Slow Dance with Death. Listen, have a great week. Well, you talked about nothing new under the sun, both the Christian and the mainstream metal scene. It's just stuffed full of bands. Oh, yeah. It's got to be tough to create a sound that's going to stand out from the rest. Do you think you're going to be able to climb above the crowd with death therapy? I don't know. It's tough to be a new band in 2017, no matter who you are, I think. This like if you were going to come out with a new cola. I mean, really? You know, the market is already dominated by certain powerhouse brands. And then there's a bajillion other ones that are already out there. How am I going to even get into the stores? It's very similar with being a new band. You know, there's so many big bands that are making it. They're going to pretty much continue leading the way. On the flip side, there's thousands upon thousands of bands that are sort of in the middle there. And then there's, a, you know, hundreds of thousands of bands trying to climb up. I guess I have a little bit of a, of a head start because I had a band before some people, I think, assume this. Oh, well, he was a coming archetype. So, you know, they were so huge. And, you know, death therapy, I mean, it's just going to be cakewalk. But the reality is that becoming the archetype equity that I built up doesn't hold a whole lot of water in 2017. It really doesn't. Um, and I'm not saying that to try to get pity from people. Um, it just doesn't. It's 2017. Um, it's six years since the last BTA record I did. In that time, music has changed so much. Um, as far as what's popular, you you were at Audio Feed Festival. Um, one of the things I observed there was guitar, rock, and metal. People are not hungry for it like they used to be. Um, I used to just love to go to concerts and just stand in the front and watch a guitar player just you know melt my face off, just shredding around. And that almost doesn't exist now. It seems like with the younger generation, how things have changed. Six, seven years is a long enough time for a whole new generation of fans to kind of come up and a whole other generation of fans to kind of move on. So Death Therapy's got a lot of work cut out for us if we want to get to a place where it's going to be sustainable and you know we can draw a crowd on our own when we go out and play places. So I'm hopeful that it's, that it's doable and that it's different enough that it might stick out and people might catch on. But, um, I mean, like we've said, nothing's new. I mean... You know, people will come up and be like, oh, you're just trying to be 20, 21 pilots, but you're metal, right? Or, oh, it's just like the White Stripes, but you're metal. Oh, it's just like trying to copy 68. Or, you know, you would have thought, well, a two-person metal band. Oh, my gosh, how rare is that? But, well, now it's not so rare, you know. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe it's a little different. I think at the end of the day, it's does the music connect to people? And I hope it does. So far, the response has been has been really, really positive from people. Um, so I'm hoping that as it branches out to the general crowd of folks, that, that people still really dig it. Well, I'm going to put some pressure on you. 
How about giving us a closing word of wisdom from Mr. Jason Wisdom? <laughs> Man, I feel like I uh, I may have used up too much of my wisdom earlier on the part about um, struggling with our with our problems openly as a virtue, and and I I guess that's sort of what I would want to point back to as people listen to this record and as they think about their own struggles. Heavy music, I think has a unique potential to touch the lives of people who are hurting in very, very profound ways. And what I mean is Michael W. Smith is not going to be the guy that someone's going to turn to listen to when they're struggling with severe alcohol addiction or suicidal thoughts or self-harm. For all the people that want to say, well, this screaming and loud music, I mean, what good can come of that? You know, I've had lots of people tell me that over the years. My experience has been with Becoming Archetype and now even with Death Therapy that hundreds of people have written me letters telling me that they were on the verge of ending it all and then a song lyric caught them that they were listening to and or they were struggling with depression and they were encouraged uh, so with this record, I really wanted to do the same, which was sort of say, it's okay to struggle openly. As a matter of fact, to struggle any other way isn't honest. We're just lying to ourselves, and that only makes the problem worse. So that would sort of be my, wow, you can probably hear my daughter screaming in the background. That's my last word of wisdom. <laughs> Jason, thanks so much for coming and meeting again with The Antidote. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm always excited to do it. <laughs>